Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. I love it when a song that we sing perfectly aligns with the word that will be shared. I just, the Holy Spirit does things that in some cases we can't understand or comprehend, but in some cases we say, oh, I know what you're up to. I know what you're doing. <laughs> we just sing about Jesus and making darkness tremble. I hope it's okay with you guys tonight. I'm going to be talking about Jesus a little bit. And I'm going to be talking about making darkness tremble. Okay? Hope it's okay with you. Uh, my name is Chase Ellenberg. Obviously, I'm not Pastor Mark. Um, I am the director of Young Adult Ministries here. You had me last week, and I gave you a spoiler alert. This was a BOGO event, so you've got me one more time tonight. So we're going to be Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We're going back to the beginning one more time, going back to the beginning, just like we did last week. A little bit of a recap. Last week was all about going to the beginning but focusing on Adam. We, we, we looked at Adam as the... The, the creation of God and the original intention that God gave him and the duties that were tasked upon Adam and Eve because there were mutual duties. We covered five mutual duties of Adam and Eve and then four specific duties of just Adam, okay? So just to recap a little bit, Genesis 126 that we will read together. I'm not going to make you repeat or, or, or do a call and response Again, but we know that we're talking about Adam and Eve here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Genesis 1, 26 is identity. That's when God creates Adam and Eve, and he gives them an identity before he gives them anything else, that they are created in the image of God. We move on to Genesis 27, so God did it, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Genesis 1:28. then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So while Genesis 1:26 is identity, Genesis 1:28 is purpose. This is their assignment. This is what they are to do. And this is a mutual assignment to Adam and Eve. They are co-bearers, co-owners of Genesis 1.28. So we broke down last week that there, there were five things here that they were supposed to do. Task number one that were for Adam and Eve was to be fruitful. And as we talked about last week, that gets mistranslated, misunderstood into just go be fruitful and procreate, make babies, and those kinds of things. But that's not what it means. Being fruitful, that word actually means to be healthy, to blossom where they are. So that was task number one, is for them to blossom. Then it moves on to multiply, which is in the traditional sense to duplicate themselves. But the, 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 the feeling behind this word is a little bit deeper than just go and duplicate yourselves. As we discovered last week, what that word actually means is to take something that can be counted and turn it into something that cannot be counted. So that was a mutual task of both of them, was that they were to take themselves and duplicate themselves as image bearers of God continually until it could not be counted. 
It's the same word that God uses to Abraham when he says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Your children will be more than the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. Okay? Duty number three is to fill the earth. And we discovered that this word also gets mistranslated. It does not mean to duplicate filling the earth, but it means to consecrate. It means to set something aside for special purpose. This is the same word that's used all throughout Leviticus and Exodus. When God's talking about the priests and their duties, he says to consecrate them, consecrate their robes, consecrate their duties, set them apart. Okay? Now, these, in a lot of ways, are in order. So being fruitful, being healthy does come first for a reason, because you cannot multiply if you're not healthy. In the same way that you cannot fill the earth if you are not multiplying. Because what it actually means, this word fill the earth, to consecrate, is it's not saying just go and have babies and let them run amok everywhere. <laughs> kind of like in, uh, I don't know, Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese really isn't around anymore. I took Amelia to one a couple of years ago, and it was so disappointing. <laughs> it's really run down. I don't know. I don't know what the equivalent is. Dave and Buster's maybe. I don't know. But what it's saying is once you've multiplied, you have to take these image bearers of God and set them apart for special use. That's how the fill the earth happens, okay? That's task number one through three. Task number four and five are governing and reigning. So number four, mutual duty of Adam and Eve, was that they were to govern. And as we said last week, this is a nasty word. This is a violent word. Not a good word. No surprise to us, government is not a good word, okay? That it is a word that literally means to put something in bondage, to enslave it, to beat something until it is nearly dead. And then the final task of them is to reign to rule over the earth, to put things underneath their feet. Now, as we saw, a little bit of a recap from last week is that the first three tasks were not connected to perfection because Adam and Eve sin, Genesis chapter 3. They eat the fruit, they get cast out of the garden, and they sin. The world gets wicked, more and more wicked, and then the flood happens with Noah. When a Noah emerges from the ark, God gives him three tasks. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So what we can get from that is being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the earth is not contingent upon perfection. Noah could achieve that even though he lived in a fallen world and was a fallen man. What God did not tell Noah to do was to govern and reign because that was outside of his ability. Okay? Those two are contingent upon perfection, and that is what's restored when Christ comes back is the ability to govern and to reign, okay? Now, what we also pulled out is that Christ is the second Adam. This was 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he fulfills these lost duties of Adam. So he fulfills the ability to govern and to reign, and he also elevates the other ones to perfection. He elevates the ability to be fruitful, the ability to multiply, the ability to fill the earth. Okay. Now, when it came to the exclusive duties of Adam, because those five are the mutual duties of Adam and Eve, but Adam also had some exclusive duties. He had four things that were his job and were not necessarily Eve's job. Those things were to tend and watch the garden, secure and repeat the word of God, and to name the things of the earth. Those are specific things that God gave to Adam, Genesis chapter 2. He places Adam in the garden, and he tells him, you are to tend the garden, you are to watch the garden. He gives him his word, 
The Lord gives Adam his word that he is not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Adam's job is to secure that and repeat that. And then Adam also has the ability to name things. He names the animals and he names Eve. Okay? Now that we're all caught up. The point of tonight is to talk about Eve. Because last week we talked about Adam and going beyond Adam that Christ, Jesus, is the second Adam, as 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us. The Bible refers to him as the last Adam. That he came and he fulfilled all of those duties of Adam in perfection. But the title of tonight's message is Beyond Eve. Because we may have heard, if you've been in church long enough, you may have heard that Jesus is the second Adam. This isn't anything new. But you may not have heard that there is a second Eve as well. That Jesus came and fulfilled the duties of Adam, but there is another entity on the planet right now that fulfills the duties of Eve. Okay? So to get to that, we need to go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 18. I am going to throw a lot of scripture at you tonight. I have no idea how we are going to connect all of these things, so I am just going to totally and completely lean on the Holy Spirit because I was very overwhelmed with a lot of this as it was being poured out to me, and I'm going to try to not get you overwhelmed, so forgive me, but the Holy Spirit is going to connect it all for us, okay? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through verses 24, we're going to see some specific duties of Eve, because this is going back to the creation of Eve. Genesis chapter 1 is an overview of creation. Genesis chapter 2 is a microscope of creation. So what we're going to see here is the, the, the details behind Eve's creation. All right, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 is where we're at. <clears throat> I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Everybody say, not good. Not good. If you hearken back to Genesis chapter 1, that was the good chapter. Everything in his brother was good. You know, day one, God creates uh, the, the heavens and the earth, and it's good. Day two, he creates things, and it's good. Day three, it's good. We get all the way to day six, and he says, it's very good. So things are good. Day one, yeah, Genesis chapter one. But now, for the first time in Scripture, we get to something that's not good. This is not good. That Adam doesn't have a helper suitable for him. Okay, moving on. Genesis, uh, verse 19. So, this is response to that something's not good. So, God does something about it. So, the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So God says it's not good for man to be alone, and then he brings him a bunch of animals. This is going to be important later on. He brings him a bunch of animals, and Adam names them, but still things are not good. Adam doesn't have a suitable helper. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. Last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone, 
and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two two are united into one. Okay? That's the creation of Eve, the specific details of the creation of Eve. What I want us to pull out is here we also get the exclusive duties of Eve. Because remember, there were things that were Adam's job that weren't necessarily Eve's job. Here in her creation, we see that there are things that were Eve's job that were not necessarily Adam's job. We're going to get three of them, three specific duties of Eve. This is going to be vital for us when I reveal (laughs) who the second Eve is, okay? Duty number one of Eve comes in verse 18, the whole reason for her creation It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper. Everyone say helper. Helper who is just right for him. So Eve's specific duty number one is to help, is to assist Adam in all of his duties. And all the things that Adam was supposed to do, she is supposed to help him. So let's think for a second back to those specific duties of Adam because She is supposed to come along beside him and help him. So duty number one of Adam is to watch the garden, tend the garden. I'm sorry, tend the garden comes first. Tend the garden. What this word actually means is to serve. The word tend means to serve. So Adam's duty was to serve in the garden. Eve's duty is to come along beside him and help him serve in the garden. This word would be used a whole lot in the Old Testament. It's the exact same word that um, is used for Esau and Jacob when they're born. God gives a, a prophecy that he says that the, the older will serve the younger. It's that word tend, that he's going to tend to the younger. It's the same word that would be used in Exodus when it says the children of Israel would serve Egypt. That would mean they would tend to their business. Okay, so this is an exclusive duty of Adam that he's to tend the garden, but Eve's duty is to assist in this manner. So she's supposed to come along beside him and help him serve in the garden. Now, for a second, I I was thinking about this, that that seems kind of counterintuitive because they're supposed to govern and reign, right? But that is how the kingdom of God has always functioned, that the servants are the rulers, that if you want to rule, you have to first serve, okay? I mean, that's straight up the gospel of Jesus. The first will be last and the last will be first. Very first thing that Adam's supposed to do is tend the garden, but he's supposed to serve in the garden, okay? And Eve's duty is to assist him in that, all right? Moving on, Adam's specific duty number two is to watch the garden, Now, I'm telling you these again because Eve's duty here is to assist him in these responsibilities. So to watch the garden actually has a double meaning. To watch, meaning number one, means to preserve, which means that he is supposed to keep the garden in the same condition as he found it. That's what that word preserve, to watch, means. Is he supposed to keep the garden just as he found it? Now, all of my parents in the room will will agree with me, that when you have kids, especially young kids, this is impossible. This is so impossible to keep a room as you found it. 
Like, I got two little girls, and I got one on the way, and they are flat-out hurricanes. I'm very much of a, a, a neat freak. I like things organized. My wife makes fun of me. I like to color coordinate. I put labels on everything. You know, the, the, the canned tomatoes go here. Don't you put no canned, ter- canned carrots in my canned tomato pile, okay? Don't you do that. But when my girls, Hurricane 1 and Hurricane 2, come into a room, it's like, it's a disaster zone, and you won't even see them move. It's like 30 seconds later. This stuff's falling everywhere. Things are, the dog's barking. I mean, it's, it's not just at your house. It's my house, too, okay? I mean, things are, I mean, it looks like a whole playground party came through there with just two little girls, all right? So I get that. that that's hard, but that was Adam's job to preserve the garden, keep it in the same condition that it was in, all right? Now, that, that word watch also has a second meaning. And it means to guard, to protect. That to watch the garden means that he is the protector of that space. And it is his responsibility to keep it safe. I want to make a distinction here that it is not Eve's responsibility. Her job is to assist him, yes. But the responsibility falls on him to protect the garden. All right? Next, I'm going to lump the next two exclusive duties of Adam into one. Because exclusive duty of Adam number three was to secure and repeat the word of God. And exclusive duty number, f- number three, number four, get my numbers mixed up. Number four was to name things. But Eve, in order to assist him in this, can do it all in one. And here's why. Adam was perfect. Therefore, there should never in any case have been a distinction to where the word of Adam was different from the word of God. Okay? That means that for, for Eve to assist him, there's no difference. The word, of, the word of Adam is the same as the word of God. And here's the thing that, that we need to pull from this. That if God said it, Adam was to say it. Without wavering, without changing without any modification. If Adam named it, Eve called it by that name. I'm going to take a little detour over to John chapter 12 because Jesus operates this exact same way, keeping in mind Jesus is the fulfillment of Adam. He's the second Adam. John 12, 49, Jesus reveals that he operated like this. John 12, 49 I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. See the connection there? Is that the word of Adam was never supposed to be different from the word of God. Jesus fulfills that. Adam did not, because as we talked about last week, he did not perfectly relay the word of God to Eve because she adds in when she's talking to the snake, oh, yeah, God said we're not supposed to eat of the tree, but we're also not supposed to touch it. That is directly correlated to a failure of Adam to repeat and secure the word of God. All right? And a kind of a side note, Jesus is the literal word of God, so he fulfills that nonetheless all the way. Okay? So task exclusive duty of Eve, number one, is to assist. She is to help. Adam in all of his responsibilities. It is not her, her job. The, 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 
the consequences of not doing this don't fall on her completely because she's the helper. She's the assistant to come alongside him. Exclusive duty number two of Eve. We're going to pull out three. This is number two. And this one appears in verse 24. Verse 24, this is when Adam first meets Eve. And he says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. The two are united into one. Exclusive duty number two of Eve is to unify. She is to unify with Adam. Now, as you guys have learned, I'm a little bit of a word guy, so I like looking at original language. This word, to, to unify, it is the word echad in, in Hebrew, and it, what it actually means is it's the literal number, one. That's what it is. So you, everyone in the room has now learned the number one in Hebrew. Congratulations, this is Hebrew class. It is this word, echad, and it means one. What that actually tells us is that there's no distinction here. Between Adam and Eve, they are supposed to be so aligned, so alike, so conformed to each other that there is no number two. There is no distinction, that they are one. They are one flesh, one body, one mind. Now, what this tells us here is that this is Eve's duty. She was created to become one with Adam. Adam was not created, vice versa, to become one with Eve. So go with me on, for a second here. That This explains why the seed of sin comes through Adam and why it was so important for Jesus to be born of a virgin, not with a male involved. Okay? What I'm getting at here is that Eve's job was to be unified with Adam. She was supposed to go where Adam went do what Adam did. What that means is that if Adam would have been the very first person to eat the fruit, it would have been Eve's responsibility to follow him and eat the fruit as well. Because her job is to unify with him. But that's not how it played out. Eve is the first person to eat. It is not Adam's job to follow her. It is not Adam's job to therefore come after her and eat the fruit. He did that willingly. That's why the seed of sin comes through Adam. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that Eve was deceived. And this is going to be important in just a minute. Eve was deceived and Adam was not. Adam knew what he was doing. Adam willingly ate the fruit knowing the consequences. He followed Eve, which is him fulfilling one of her duties, the unifying with her when she's supposed to be the one unifying with him. Does that make sense? That's what's going on there. That's why it's vital to understand that Eve did eat it first, that it wasn't Adam, because if Adam would have done it, it would have been her responsibility to do it as well, because she's supposed to follow after him. Her duty, number two, is to unify with him. Okay? Last one. Specific duty, number three, for Eve. This one, we have to go over to Genesis chapter three for this one. Genesis chapter three, verses one through six. 
We've got that Eve's duties are to assist. Eve's duties are to unify with Adam. Here's duty number three, just for her. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. There's her twisting the word of God. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Specific duty number three for Eve is to stand up for truth. She is supposed to assist Adam in his duties. She is supposed to unify with Adam, but then she is also supposed to stand up for truth against darkness. That's what was going on with the snake, is that this was a battle with deception. All throughout Scripture, and in fact, after this, it does. the Bible only mentions Eve a couple of more times. She's really not mentioned a whole lot. But every time after this it mentions her, it equates her with deception. That was her failure. That was her sin. Not necessarily eating the fruit, but not standing up for truth, for being deceived. That was the fault of Eve. That was a, a, a mistake in not fulfilling her duty. Eve was to hold on to God's truth and God's word without wavering. It doesn't matter what was to happen or what someone was to say to her. She was to hold on to God's truth. Paul gets at this in the first chapter of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6, six through 9. He puts us in as the scenario that Eve was in. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Here's Paul writing to this church, and he starts off by saying, I am shocked. This is coming from the Apostle Paul, and he says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Doesn't that sound exactly what the serpent was doing? Twisting the truth. Oh, you're not going to die. God knows this. God knows that you'll be just like him. He's twisting the truth because as Pastor Mark has illuminated in the past, Eve was already like God. She couldn't be any more like God than she was that moment before eating the truth. But the serpent twists the truth and makes her think that she's not like God, and she falls for it. And Paul's giving the same warning to this church in Galatia. Don't fall for it. Verse 8, Let's God, let God's curse fall on anyone. That curse, going back to Genesis chapter 3, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven. 
Sound like the devil, right? You know, the devil started as an angel from heaven. Who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. What Paul is saying to this church is that you are not to waver in your stance for truth. That Eve failed, not because she ate the fruit. Eve failed because she didn't stand for truth. Because she was allowed, she allowed herself to be deceived by a different gospel. By a twisting of the truth. And what Paul is saying here is that he's speaking to the church. He's saying that even if an angel were to show up right now in our midst and tell you something different than the gospel of Jesus, you are to shut him down and shut him up. That is stance for truth. Doesn't matter what you have experienced. It doesn't matter what someone else has said. The word of God is the word of God, and that's what we stand on. That is exclusive duty number three of Eve. So we've got she is to assist, she is to unify with Adam, and she is to stand for truth. Okay? You with me? Good? Okay? Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 11 will tell us who indeed our second Eve is. The second fulfillment. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 says exactly what we just covered in standing up for truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3. Paul, again, writing to a church, and he says, But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. So Paul's lamenting here, speaking to this church, and he's saying, I'm afraid you're going to give in just like Eve did, that you're going to be deceived, that you're going to give in to lies and twisting of truth, and you're going to fall because of deception. Okay? But we have to back up to verse 2 to get the full picture of this verse and see who our second Eve is. Because in verse 3, he mentions the first Eve. Verse 2, he's going to tell us the second Eve. For I am jealous of you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. We can all agree that Eve was the bride of Adam, right? That's his wife. Well, who is the bride of Christ? Church of the living God. The church of the living God is the second Eve. You and me, unified in the body of Christ, are the second Eve. So it is our job, it is our duty, it is our responsibility to assist Adam, which in our case, who's the second Adam? Jesus, to unify with Jesus, and to stand up for the truth of Jesus everywhere we go. That is our duty as the church of the living God. Now, as I dove into this, 
I want to pull out some more just connections before we really flesh out what does it mean for the church in today's world to do those three things. If we look that Eve is the perfect bride of Christ, or I'm sorry, that Eve is the perfect helpmate of Adam, just as the church is the perfect bride of Christ, I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to throw some scripture at us just so we can all agree that the church is the, the second Eve. We can't get there just because I say so. Trust me. We have to use our scripture. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. <clears throat> Paul here is talking about husbands and wives. And notice what he says. Verse 22, Ephesians chapter 5. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Now, what's going on here? These, these scriptures... I think get overlooked a lot, not, not, not necessarily in this church, but in many other churches, because nobody likes to say, oh, wives, to submit to your husbands. Nobody likes to talk about that. But what it's talking about here is it's not talking about a dictatorial relationship. It's not talking about a hierarchy in any way. We established last week that Adam and Eve are co-bearers of their responsibilities. They are equal in every way. What it's getting at is they have different duties, does that sound familiar? That Adam has exclusive duties that are his. Eve has exclusive duties that are hers. In the same way, the, the, the men in a relationship, the husband has a specific duty, and the wife has a specific duty. And all throughout this scripture, Paul equates husbands and wives with Jesus and his church. So again, this just tells us that Jesus has his duties, and we have ours as a church, as his body. If we keep on going... What we see in the rest of this chapter, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 31, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Everybody say one. That is an exact mirror of the scripture that we read earlier. In Genesis 2.24, the church is the perfect complement to Christ, just as Eve was the perfect complement to Adam. Because remember Eve's origin story? That God looked at Adam and he said, man, it's not good for you to be alone. You need a helpmate that is perfect for you. Well, then the, the exact same way, God looks at Jesus and he says, it's not good for you to operate on the earth alone, you need a helpmate that is perfect for you. The bride of Christ, the second Eve. That's me and you. 
Let's keep on going. I, I want to solidify this a little bit more. Matthew chapter 16 is a verse that Pastor Mark preached on just a few couple weeks ago. Matthew 16, we're going to start in verse 13. What we have here is the naming of Peter. This is the first time in the entire Bible that the word church is used. And what we're going to see is Eve is wrapped up in this verse. Matthew 16, I'm going to start in verse 13. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. This little segment of Scripture is all about names. What Jesus is getting at is he, gets, he comes to his disciples and he says, hey, who do people say I am? What he's basically asking is, what's the name that people are using for me as we travel around? Because his disciples say names. Oh, well, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're John the Baptist. They're giving him names, okay? Then he gets to the more important question, verse 15. Then he asks them, but who do you say I am? So what he's asking is, what's the name that you are going to use for me? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed. He got it right. He got the answer right. Simon got the answer right. Verse 17, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. What he's, what he's saying there is, since we're talking about names, I know your name and I know your daddy's name, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. This is Jesus functioning in one of those exclusive duties of Adam to name things. He takes something that already has a name, Simon, and he gives him a different name, Peter. But that, that is not the only thing that's named here. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Everyone say church. I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This word church, Pastor Mark has preached several times. The actual Greek word means ekklesia, and it was not a fancy spiritual churchy word. This is the first time the word is used in Scripture, but it is a common government word. It means to call something out. But can we think for a second about the creation of Eve that we read earlier? That Eve is not created of the dust of the ground like Adam is. She is not a separate entity. When Adam is created, God takes the dust of the ground, forms it into a man, and breathes life into it. Where does Eve come from? She is called out of Adam's side. A calling out. This is the naming of the second Eve. In the same way that Eve is called out of Adam's side, the church is created the calling out of Jesus' side. And we can go even deeper here. 
What, happened, what had to happen to Adam in order for Eve to be formed? Well, he had to fall asleep. God put him into a deep sleep, correct? Isn't it funny in the Bible that Jesus often, very frequently refers to death as sleep? You know, when he talks about Lazarus, and Lazarus has been dead for four days, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, let's go wake our friend Lazarus up. Jairus' daughter is dead. There's people outside, mourning, wailing, weeping over her. And Jesus busts up in there, and he says, she ain't dead, she's just asleep. The sleep of Adam is equivalent to the death of Christ. Eve does not happen if Adam does not fall asleep. The church is not formed without the death of Christ. And just as Adam woke up, woke up again, woke up again, he woke up again, and she was there, upon the resurrection of Christ, the church is formed. The church is formed. From his side, from his flesh, bone of his bone. She's not taken from his foot. She's not taken from his head. She's not below him. She's not above him. Remember, Eve is a co-heir, a co-owner. Church, we are co-owners and co-heirs with Christ. We are not taken from his foot or his head. We are taken from his side, standing on equal ground. Ephesians tells us that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. But Ephesians also tells us that we are seated with him, not at his feet, not at his head, beside him. So just as Eve is formed out of Adam as that perfect helpmate, we are formed out of Christ as his perfect helpmate. It's good, right? Praise God. Praise God. What we have here, I don't know if you want that. Maybe you want that. (laughs) A side thing is, you, you remember back when we read the creation of Eve? And the first thing when God said it's not good, he brought Adam all the animals. Could we not say that before the church is representative of a time when people thought they had to get to Christ through animal sacrifice? People thought they had to shed blood through animals to get to Adam. And God fulfills this. He brings the animals to Adam, knowing full well that that's not his perfect helpmate. It's not like God brings the giraffe and said, well, try this one. It's not that. (laughs) God knows what he's doing. He's setting up for a a, a visual representation, a symbol that people will try to get to you through animal sacrifices for years, but it won't come until you fall asleep and then are resurrected again that your perfect helpmate is born. We don't come about until the resurrection of Christ, Jesus' perfect helpmate in every way. Have I convinced you? Okay. Now we can get to how do we fulfill the specific duties of Eve? Because we are the second Eve, the church of Christ. So we need to look one more time at those three things, to assist, to unify, and to stand for truth. Because church, that is our duty. As the fulfilling of the second Eve on this earth, we are mandated and responsible for doing those three things. The assisting. This is something, I'll be straight up honest with you, I had to come to grips with this. I had to come to grips with this one because I didn't always believe this. 
And this is something that, that Pastor Mark has preached before. And I would, I would dwell on it and think about it and, and wonder, I don't know if I believe that. But now I am convinced God needs the church. God needs you. And that's a statement that, again, I struggled with because I'm one of the, line, I'm one of the, the folk that was thinking, ah, God doesn't need anything. You know, he's God. But what this tells us is that God looked at Adam and said it was not good for him to be alone. He could not fulfill his duties without his perfect helpmate. He couldn't do it. Adam could never be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, govern, and reign without Eve. Christ cannot fulfill the entirety of his duty without the church in operation. Can't happen. The church is needed. But what I want us to see is this word assist, this word help, is he doesn't need just any church. The true second Eve is a church empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because think about all throughout Scripture, what is the Holy Spirit referred to? The helper. He is the helper. Jesus tells us that he is going to go away, but the helper is going to come. John chapter 14 Verses 15 through 17. We can just jot these down. John 14, 15 through 17. John 16, 7. John 14, 25 through 26. Jesus tells, tells his disciples, I'm going to send the helper. That's the literal title of the Holy Spirit. So it is not that we that, that, that Jesus needs the church, just any church, to come and assist him in his duty. He needs the church empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is the church that he needs to assist him in his duties, a church empowered by the Holy Spirit. The second Eve is nothing less. Duty number two of us is to unify. Unify. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Yes, the church empowered by the Holy Spirit is to assist Christ in his duties. But we are also supposed to unify to Christ and to each other. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father, who is over all and in all and living through all. It's funny here that that, that Scripture uses the word binding. We hearken back to Matthew chapter 16 when it says, Jesus says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be loosed on earth. Whatever you bind on earth will also be bound in heaven, and loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. That word binding usually gets a bad rap, but it can have a positive meaning as well. That as the church of Christ, we are to be bound together. And we can look around us and know that our society needs a church that is bound together. That our society is divided. Our society is divisive. So we have no time for a divided church. Our job is to unify 
as the second E, we are to unify with Christ and with each other. Wrapping up, the last duty of Eve is to stand for truth. We don't have to go anywhere else for this one. Ephesians chapter 4 takes care of it. We start in verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue, the building up of the body of Christ through teaching, through pastoral gifts, through evangelistic gifts, will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. That's what happened with the first Eve. Lies so clever they sounded like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. What we have in this one is our responsibility, our mandate is to stand up for truth. Is to stand against deception and make a stance for truth. Pastor Mark told us just a couple of weeks ago, and I think we can all agree, is that we are living in the last of the last days. And it is the church's responsibility to literally push back darkness. That is our mandate. As the third specific duty of Eve, we are pushing back darkness. We are standing up to deception and pushing back the evil one. That is our duty. Eve should have done it when that that snake came whispering around, did God really say this? She should have bashed him on the head and enslaved him right there, but she didn't. We have to do better. We cannot be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. We have to stand up against the powers of darkness. So what we have here is our call as a church, is that we are to assist Christ in the things that he's doing on the earth. We are to unify with Christ and with each other, and we are to stand up against darkness. We are to stand up to truth. So in closing, I do want to make a special call to us as the body of Christ, as individuals in the body. Because we are the second Eve, but as the Bible says, we do have different roles and different parts. We all got to be doing our duty for this thing to be carried out. I make a call now. I make a call to our men, our men that are here, that are listening. 
got to do our part, guys. We got to do our part. If you are not being the spiritual leader in your home, if you are not leading devotions, if you are not the first to drop to your knees, if you are not the first to bring out a Bible, you should be ashamed of yourself. Because it is our job as men to take on that role. That is our job in the body of Christ. During worship, men, our hands need to be raised higher. We need to be lifted up, praising Christ. We need to be doing our job. And ladies, you're not above reproach either. I don't want to take away too much from Friday night. I hope you come out for for the Bloom event. I think it's going to be awesome. But ladies, you cannot let that snake be whispering in your ear. Because you know what he told Eve. It, It wasn't about fruit. What he told Eve was, you're not good enough the way that you are. And he's still telling a lot of ladies that same thing. You're not good enough. You got to stand up. You got to crush the snake in the head. Put him in subjection because that's not true. Once we fulfill our task and our duties and come together as a unified body of Christ, Here's what we all need to strive for, is the day that Christ returns, he needs to look at us, and he needs to say, at last, here is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She is perfect in every way. That's what Adam told Eve, and that's what Christ needs to tell us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.